You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Evening, people. How are you? It's eight o'clock. It's Tuesday. Um, and that means one thing. It's the Sports Therapy Association podcast, which is recorded live, as you will gather. If you listen to the podcast, then you will realize that this is recorded live on YouTube. Um, and you're welcome to come and join us. You simply have to go along to the um, Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel at eight o'clock on a Tuesday. And you can come and you can speak directly to our guests and you can mix with the other people in the live lounge. It's October and we are continuing our look at oh, our discussions with speakers who are joining us. Um, this November on the 23rd and 24th um, at Therapy Expo in Birmingham. Um, so tonight we have the wonderful Bill Taylor, who is going to be joining us very shortly, um, who is a male pelvic health, well, pelvic health specialist. He's going to be talking about male pelvic health in particular. He's going to be at Therapy Expo um, on the Wednesday, 23rd November, 1.45 p.m. And also going to be, in case you can't make it at lunchtime, he's going to be in Theatre C at 10.45 a.m. My thanks last week, first of all, to Liz Bailey, who joined us. Great episode. Um, Liz is going to be joining us um, at Therapy Expo as well. Um, and that will be, let me bring up the little program here. So if you are joining us live, then you can see all this on the YouTube channel, which is the advantage of coming onto YouTube if you can. Um, let's put this in big here. So Liz is going to be around um, in the STA Theatre um, at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, and following Liz, there will be Dr. Gary Mendoza, who we've had the pleasure of chatting to as well on the podcast. And before, there'll be Anna Marie and Paul Coker, who are going to be doing massage and therapy point of view. And the whole day is going to be a fantastic um, um, collection of speakers to listen to. Um, there's five in total. And then when we go to the Thursday, um, then that is when our guest tonight is going to be joining us at 1.45 in the afternoon. Um, so I think that's said and done. Our guest for tonight, who is Bill Taylor. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you too, mate. But thank you for giving up your time, as always, for that's joining okay. us. Thanks for asking me. Thanks for having well, me along. It's been a year and I know you're a busy man. I've, I've obviously, have I been calling you every week? Bill, can you come on? It's been 52 weeks and finally I broke <laughs> you down. <laughs> and you said you were free. So thank you. I think I, I think I saw the, the invitation and I just, I jumped at it. I thought, oh, finally, finally, he's asked me back. So, so anyway, yes. And um, thanks so much for joining us. Really excited. And, and thanks as well for joining us at Therapy Expo this year. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, we've talked quite a lot about it now. Obviously, um, we were there last year with our little STA theatre, and it's grown now, and and um, we had such fun last year. It's actually in the main... The, the lovely thing is, it's my dream come true, because if you're in a theatre, and there's nothing wrong with the closed theatres with the curtains, then you're mm -hmm. only really reaching the people who have booked to see you and come in and close the curtain and listen to you. But the joy mm -hmm. of the STA theatre, which really tickles my fancy, is you're doing it out in the open so people can mm -hmm. come and obviously see but then you've got a lovely footfall coming around and they're the people yeah, who yeah. i think in our industry we really <clears throat> want to reach you want to reach the people i do who haven't already booked to see me because they know me and they maybe they know what i'm going to say it's the people mm -hmm. walking by who go what did you say did you just say mm -hmm. pain in the testes that's interesting mm -hmm. 
people were out in public, you know, and then suddenly that's exactly the therapist you want to go, yes, yeah. in you go, mate. There you go. Come and sit down. There you go. Um, so I really like that. That's why I'm so happy um, that you will be there um, in public, uh, attracting everybody walking by. And we had bottlenecks last last year. It was fantastic. It was great. People sitting down on the floor, drawn together. Well, yeah, that's what you want. Not, normally you shout testies out in public. There's a whole bunch of people gather around you, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you live in Edinburgh, so I guess, you know. In the yeah, well, yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's a wee bit like that, especially. Yeah. Maybe in Scotland you have to shout something else. Maybe they don't really understand testies, but I won't say what that is. No, tonight. exactly. Yeah, I'll just leave that for people to discover themselves so anyway um so tonight um I mean, we've already had a fascinating chat off here for the last 15 minutes which is understandable given the topic which is um so interesting and affects so many people i wanted to start off basically it does affect a lot of people doesn't it obviously you've got the clinic in edinburgh with how many in your team yeah i mean when I go we've to the got website, there's I think, we've, I think there's seven or eight of us there and then we've got like about one two three four uh pelvic health specialists and we and three, two of us look at men and women and uh one of them and the other two guys the other two physios do uh women only so yeah I'm just going to bring up on if you're watching this is the podcast you can't see this but on YouTube here I'm just a, a screenshot of your website because it's so beautiful mate it's fantastic <laughs> what I'm looking at it. here I love it yeah. it's amazing uh, it's taylorphysiotherapy.com yeah, um, and if yeah. you go to our team you've got this wonderful mural or collage <laughs> team there with eye, made out to kind of like eyes on the left eyes on the right and noses and mouths and yeah I mean, I know what that says to me, but you sound like you were involved in the creation of that, or what? what did well, you try to it was it, basically it was uh, my friend uh, at a company called Staunch Industries, who are graphic designers and designer people, and um, I, I had said to him that you know we 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 are a really kind of tight knit team, and I said I wanted something that represented kind of us as a group, but the idea that not one of us was any more important than the other. Um, and the fact that, you know, we have a, we have, some of us have 20, 26 years of experience, have 40 years of experience. Some of the guys have been there for seven or eight years. I'm super lucky because my team don't move. I've had people, I mean, I, I've like, I've, one, two, three of my people probably have been with me for over 50 years. If you add up the years they've been together. And so for me, it, it kind of represented this idea that we were kind of a cohesive whole and that we weren't like we work we share patients together we ask each other for help we ask you know we we kind of we we we, we uh, double up when we see patients together if we're struggling with something you know we, we're just kind of a we're just a good team we're just kind of like um friends at work as well as well as colleagues and we just kind of and and we all have uh yeah so i suppose that that's what he came up with uh, and he's he's a mad um south south african and uh, i i didn't really I didn't even know what he was going to come up with, and uh, when he did that, it was it, it, for me. It was, it, I thought it was it was perfect. It was exactly what I had intended in my brief, but I didn't really expect that that's what was going to come. So yeah, and it's been we've had it for quite a long time. It's quite interesting because I think it, it it develops a couple of responses. Some people love it, and some people find it a little disconcerting um i'm happy with both you know i'm happy with a bit of disconcerting and i'm happy with a bit of a feel of it so yeah but no i'm glad you like it i'm glad you oh, like no, it. It, it's it, it's i mean for me it's everything we talk about on this and the idea of i love the way that it's smiles 
its ears everywhere listening its yeah. eyes watching the patient it's just all yeah. the senses of communication and it's not making yeah. any noise yeah so obviously yeah. i'm reading into it for, to take my kind of confirmation biases and things but it's just everything a therapist needs to be and often isn't where they're sitting yeah. back listening watching giving the person time to talk yeah um, that's what it is to me it's a beautiful silent greeting oh, from somebody who's there to listen to you it's, it's really yeah. nice yeah um we've talked, actually, talked I, go on. I think that it says it's that that's a really interesting thing that you say because i think with my public health patients um one of the things i see a lot that, that that i hear from them um after we've had a session is that they they frequently say to me like you know thanks bill good session but actually it's the first time that i think someone's actually listened to me mm. and i think it's the first time that i actually feel heard so be, being listened to and being heard is kind of you know, the big thing that they maybe feel they haven't had before. Uh, and I'm super lucky in the clinic because I can have an hour and a half or two hours with somebody if, if I choose to do that. Most of, most of the new appointments are an hour and a half. And you can sit down and really listen to the patient's story. Um, and when you listen to the story, you really get a sense of how much this group of patients really suffers and struggles with their symptoms and, and struggles with trying to find someone to help them. You know, and I think you, earlier on you asked me why, you know, why, why, what's my motivation for kind of coming and talking on these uh, kind of platforms. And I think it really is to push the idea that, you know, that working in public health is a, is a really great thing to do. And we need more people. We need physios. And, and we'll maybe talk a little bit more that we need sports therapists as well. We need people that are interested in working together with physios. That that Because um, I suppose as a sports therapist, you might really feel, well, what can I do? How, how am I going to treat someone's pelvic floor? And how am I, how do I even start doing that? How do, how do I broach that? You know, and I, and I think I was saying earlier that I, I do refer my patients to sports therapists for soft tissue work. And that makes it easier for them because I'm 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 making a specific request to the therapist to say, listen, this is the kind of this is what I'm looking for. This is what the kind of change I'm hoping to get. What do you think you can do to help me make that happen? Um, and and, and you know, because I can do the soft tissue work, but oftentimes these guys are coming quite a long way to see me, so I don't want to drag them all the way up if they can see me once a month, but have soft tissue work done in between. Um, that that works really well. So for me. Physios working with sports therapists is is a is a, a kind of a, a nice unique and kind of um, but it's just that it goes back to that photograph. Everyone working together, we're all a team. The the, the 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 person that matters most is the patient, and what can we do for the patient that's going to get them better soon, sooner than Brilliant. maybe they would be without it. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I'm hoping that people listening to the podcast, I, mean, I know the people in the room will be sitting back applauding you and they've just stopped eating their popcorn and just kind of clapping and standing up. I'm, I'm sure. And I'm pleased to say that I can see the people in the live lounge now. It's happening. I can see you all. So thank you for joining us, people. Um, thank you. Your name thank up you. Here. Claire Walker's here. Good evening. Everyone says Claire. The joy of joining us live, if you listen to the podcast, is that um, you can come and say hi and your name comes up on the screen. And if you're interested, then go along to YouTube and have a look at the other 122 episodes. Brian Hux is in the house. Catherine Reimer says, hi everyone, hope you're well. Um, how are you doing, Catherine? Brian Huxley, Leslie Campbell is here. Gary is here as well. Gary, we've got an interesting question for you shortly. I'm glad you're here, Gary. Gary's the founder of the Sports Therapy Association. 
walked around says he's having wi-fi problems keeps freezing i hope that's just you and not me um let me know if it's got better better rob and glenn murphy says good evening all as well so thank you and other people are coming in the live lounge as well so thank you people for joining us live i was worried um it's all fine now so yeah that's really interesting hearing you um say that bill because my approach we had you on the show like a year ago like i say um, and it was a fascinating episode. It was part of, I think, a month we spent on pelvic health. So we had people like Courtney Donnelly and I think Emma Brockwell, and we had other people talking about pelvic health, male and female. Um, but back then, my take was, and it still is important, I think, that massage therapists and sports massage therapists have got a massive role to play as part of the chain where a lot of these people who are potentially suffering from problems related to pelvic health will come to us first of all and come through the door because they want a massage, they're feeling ill, they're stressed. And the first port of call is let's have some social primate grooming kind of stuff on a lie down and just feel good. Mm-hmm. So if we're asking the right questions, then mm-hmm. we form, we've got a massive responsibility of referring that person on to someone like yourself or somebody else like one of your other people down the country who could then change that person's life and and having spoken to, I think it was actually uh, James Chapman from Mental First Aid, he I think it was himself. He was he was saying that in a lot of cases, male pelvic health is linked with suicide. Um, that that yep. uh, men who suffer from it and don't get it diagnosed or aren't listened to properly, as you were saying, it's it's horrific. You know, I think I can't mm-hmm. remember the statistics he came up with, but it was it was it was horrible. So I think that there's a number somewhere out there that 85 percent of guys with uh, chronic pelvic pain have a suicidal ideation. Oh, so I, it's like it's massive, and I think certainly clinically, I hear that from patients all the time that um you know like they they feel suicidal they feel they don't want to live they feel that they've been on a journey with no help and they they can't see a way out they can't see that there's going to be an end in sight they don't feel that you know anyone that 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 what they have is is going to be fixed and and they've actually often been told um, maybe through after fall, after having gone through a few medical examinations that there's nothing that can be done for them, um, which, which is just patently not true. Um, so I think um, it, it is, it's, it, the mental health side of things is, uh, I get, you know, the, the, there's a lot of kind of red flag things there from depression and suicidal ideation that definitely have to be taken into account. Um, and, I think sometimes we get a bit worried about those um, red flags that people might harm themselves, and and quite rightly so, because I think that um, that can happen. And you want to make sure it's a big responsibility if someone says that to you. And I I have a a kind of a a process that if someone says that, I, I first of all ask them if they've told someone else, have they told a family member they feel that way, have they spoken to their GP, have they reached out to a mental health practitioner? And and if they haven't, then I, I, I encourage them to do that. Um, if, if they've decided that they won't do that, then what I do is I ask them to, if you like, set up a contract with me. And this contract says that they, they will, if, if they feel suicidal, that they won't harm themselves without speaking to a close family member or their GP or myself, um, because there's some evidence that putting that in place can um, protect them from harm um and it's a it's a difficult dark part of the work that you do in this area but i think to be honest i said most of these guys um feel a big weight off the shoulders as soon as they feel listened to i think what you were saying earlier about this idea of of just letting them tell their story 
Um, I, I like to talk a lot, so it's it's one of the hardest things for me to do to sit there and shut up and just actually let them talk. Um, and I, I practice hard at sitting on my hands and listening and taking the story down and, and trying to garner the the, the kind of um, where they've come from and what, what we need to do to help them get back to where they... But I think, you know, mental red flags, like those things are, are really important to, to take into account for sure. It's so, it's it's wonderful. It sends shivers down my spine when I hear great educators and therapists like yourself echoing things that other great therapists and educators have said with the difficulty that even you sitting on your hands and, and trying not to say anything or do anything. Just, um, Gary Mendoza said, he said he wants to get a t-shirt made. Some people just need a really good listening to. I thought that was brilliant. And that's mm-hmm. such a mm-hmm. lovely saying. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. on his motivational interviewing, he kind of comes up with like ways of just letting that pause happen you know somebody's yeah. talking and there's a pause don't just jump in there just give them count your head to three and they'll probably keep talking it's, it's yeah 100 percent. 100 percent. yeah so to 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 get things going i'm keen i'm so excited i'm looking at the time i just want to fill this um, there's so much information we can fill it with give me an idea for the people listening in the lounge and the people who are downloading listening to the recording what are some of the conditions which you commonly see or maybe not so commonly see um in edinburgh in clinic what are we talking about here which we put under the umbrella yeah. so i think um i mean i i did this recently because so i was doing a talk somewhere else and someone asked me you know what what is so what you're a physiotherapist you must be musculoskeletal sports injury and i said well yeah i saw 50 percent of my caseload is msk probably dance and sport-based. The other 50% is pelvic health. Out of that pelvic health uh, caseload, that I see about 95% men. I see some women. Um, and the female uh, patients that I see often are coming with complex sexual dysfunction. The men often um, um, pain. Uh, I think most of the guys I see are chronic pelvic pain, uh, testicular pain. I see uh, erectile dysfunction, post-prostatectomy. Uh, I I tend to see guys that have had things for a little while and they've tried a few things and it doesn't work. Um, I I think uh, I probably I'm seeing probably at least maybe five pelvic health patients a day. So I'm seeing what twenty I work twenty a week. So it's like eighty a month. So it's 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 a lot of people. And to, and I have quite a long like I have a kind of long date to get in to see me because I, I I'm I'm quite busy. I'm, I'm actually funnily enough I was at this point in my clinical experience where I'm thinking maybe I need to stop seeing MSK patients because in actual fact there's enough physios and therapists out there doing that, and there's less of them doing the thing that I think is really necessary for. Um, so that is something that I, I that might be happening for me over the next um, say two, three years. My patients keep asking me if I'm going to retire. Uh, I'm going to be 60 next year. And I said, no, nah, I've, I've got a lot of mileage in me. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I, I, and I, because I, I, I love this so much. I love what I do. So I'm, I'm not really going to give that up. So the, these patients, they, they tend to be um, all age groups. Um, I see um, a lot of guys with testicular pain, erectile dysfunction and penile pain, maybe under age 25 and under. Um, anywhere for, but anywhere from 18 to well, I've got a 94 year old patient with pelvic pain at the moment, and I've had all the way down to um, I had a, the youngest uh, patient I had was seven. Um, so it, it it kind of challenges you a lot, 
um, when you have such a wide age range. But you just have to just be creative, really, and step up to the plate. And I think we're looking at, you know, the kind of things we're looking at is bladder, bowel, sexual problems, pelvic pain, um, stress, urinary incontinence, urgency. Some guys come in, you know, that things like post-micturition dribble, so they'll have a pee and they always feel there's something left there. And you think, well, that's not too much of a problem, but it can become quite an irritating thing for some people. I look at, I see bowel problems. I think one of the one of the complicated things because I know we were the the heading tonight was talking about um, uh, red flags and and one of the problems that the, you, you suddenly see when you write when you start writing the lecture for the therapy expo is that that all of the symptoms that my patients have are all red flags for all conditions. So when when you when, if you're a, you know if you're a sports therapist with someone sitting in front of you with a list as long as your arm of symptoms that actually you have read in a book are red flags for pelvic pain. It's a bit of a concern, really, um, which is why it's quite difficult to do it on your own. Um, and I suppose for me, a lot of the guys, by the time they come to see me, luckily, um, have been have a urological scan and they've been cleared for cancer infections and all of the kind of things that you'd be worried about. Um, and although what's been happening the longer I've been in practice is you get people who perhaps um, skirt around that that scanning process and, and end up in the clinic um, without having seen a urologist. And it's that point where you need to be very certain that you aren't dealing with somebody that has an underlying problem. And I think just, I'll tell a wee quick story about, um, you, you'd asked me, I think at the beginning, Matt, if I had any um, case studies and um, an interesting case study for me was um, it was about five years ago and it was a 39 year old man that came to see me and he came in complaining that he was up at night to pee and he had frequency meaning that he had to pee more he had to pee more often than he normally would he had urgency that meant he had to go really quickly and then when he got to the toilet he, he although he had this frequency and urgency when he got there he couldn't pee he had he had hesitancy. And then he also described a feeling of a golf ball in his rectum. He had penile pain. And, and so when you listen to his story, it came across that perhaps at his age group, he probably had like a non-relaxing pelvic floor. He had a pelvic floor that was too tight. And you're thinking there wasn't, his age is not really that, you know, he's not old enough for, for anything really serious pathology. Um, and then when I um, went ahead and assessed him and, um, he had no increased tone in the exam. He had no weakness in his pelvic floor. But the big thing he did have was he had a prostate was enlarged and it was tender. And we, as physiotherapists, it's out with our scope of practice to make diagnosis based on that finding. But I said to him, look, you're, what I, the, the problem with you is I can't find anything that relates mechanically to what I thought was going to be the case. So therefore you're not fitting the, the, guy, the, the group, you're not fitting the, the mold, if you like, of the right patient. So I sent him to the GP and the GP was thinking, well, you know, he's, he's 39, I'm sure it's not fine. They did a PSA test and um, it was through the ceiling and he ended up about three or four weeks later having his prostate removed because he had prostate cancer. And for me, that was one of those big moments where I thought, you know, red flags are interesting, but the, the, and, and, and definitely like, so looking at his age and he didn't have that many red flags particularly 
And the big thing being his age being mitigated a lot of those. So I, I, at that point, I suddenly realised just how kind of dynamic red flags were. And they weren't these kind of, you know, it wasn't just kind of like one label attached to everybody meant the same thing. Um, you know, because if you had somebody that come in, maybe they were 75 year old, they had a past history of, 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 of a long time history of getting up at night and increased um, difficulty peeing and stuff. There's much more of a indicator there that in that age group, they're going to have some prostate changes. So for me, it kind of, you know, it, it was one of those moments in time where you took a bit of an intake of breath. I, I mean, I'm happy to report that he had his surgery. He's now about 49 and uh, he um, and he's healthy and hearty and actually regained um, most of his power floor function, um, much to his his happiness so yeah so yeah so it's i think um it's a it's a funny old uh area to be working in because you've got all these symptoms that you're reading about thinking these things quite scary uh and and, during the art of patients they're definitely scary so um i think it it is it's i think i've become more kind of aware of red flags and and really be 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 more kind of um uh kind of uh kind of happy to act on them if you like even when I'm thinking you're not fitting the full picture and, and you're 39 so you shouldn't have prostate cancer um, and something and, and so yeah yeah it's interesting I think, I think that's part of the problem isn't it the masqueraders the, the red flags and, yep. and, and, and the fear of therapists um, who are not um, working in and out of that um, pelvic health area of, of suggesting to somebody um, it's, it's weird, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because if there's a mole on someone's mm-hmm. neck, I'm sure most therapists are quite happy to go into mm-hmm. the whole kind of um, description yeah. and education about, oh, mm-hmm. has it changed mm-hmm. shape, has it changed colour? But as soon as it's something in, a, in the nether regions, it's kind of like, oh, well, we won't bother asking that question. There's a whole taboo thing about it, isn't there? So that leads yeah, on to think, my next question, really, is yeah. how, how how do you <clears> help? Because for you, you're talking this different language, you're seeing people time after time. But for people who are yeah. unlike to have to mention this or talk about this much, how did they get over that? The therapists themselves get over that taboo? Any recommendations? I, yeah, I do. I mean, I think um, I, I was kind of, I was thinking about this early and I was thinking that um, it's like you, I, I wrote some things down here because it's kind of like trying to work up to, you know, kind of like if, if somebody says, if someone says something to you, you know, I have some, I think I've got some numbness in my groin. Mm-hmm. You might then say to them, so, you know, where exactly in your groin is that? And you'll say, well, it, they might say, well, it's quite close to, you know, my testicles. And it might then leave you. So, you know, so they, they mention the mm-hmm. word. So it's easy for you then to say, so is it actually in your testicle or, or on your scrotum? Or And they might say, yes, it is. And then you say, well, then, so suddenly that's a step towards a little bit more of what you want to uh, want to ask and say, well, do you ha- does it go anywhere else? Does it go into your penis? And then, then and in a sense, they have started the conversation. So if they start the conversation, it then sometimes is easier to say, if they've mentioned that, you say, oh, do you find that you have any um, erectile dysfunction? Do you have any sexual dysfunction? And it's that, it, I, I find there's this kind of um, easiness of it in the sense that if you as the therapist, if you're comfortable with yourself, if you're comfortable with your own genitals, if you're comfortable thinking about sex, then it does make it much more easy to ask those questions and to move along that pathway. If you're, if you're less comfortable, it, it is a, it is a bit more of a challenge. But I think it's, 
it's like one of those things where you would maybe use simple patient language. Mm. Uh, you might not make it so technical uh, and you would kind of, you would maybe almost in a sense, let the patient lead with a little bit, but a little bit of nudging from you. Um, it's kind of, um, you know, that, cause that kind of question could lead you to things like, do you have pain when you pee? Um, they might, they might say, oh, actually, I, I don't, I don't like erections cause they hurt. That might be allow you to then ask the question, well, do you, do you have any trouble um, maintaining an erection or ejaculating? Especially, if it, it's harder definitely if the, if uh, with the group of patients that I see um, who are maybe sports-related pelvic pain, because they're often coming thinking they are a sportsman. Um, and I think that definitely makes it more difficult. But it is that idea, I think, of, of trying to... Um, like uh, trying to go slowly with the conversation and don't feel that you have to go straight. And it might well be as part of a conversation that you maybe um, go to a point and think, well, I, that might be something I want to come back to. And then at some point during the, the, the narrative, at some point during the patient's chat, you might think, oh, there's an opportunity for me to ask the question about that. And it might well be, I, I, I'm trying to think of something like they may be, uh, well, they might, they might just suddenly say something like, well, I, am I, I'm not, ha some, they might mention something about their sex life, well, I've not been having much sex recently. And you might say, is that, you, you could then say, well, is there a reason for that? Is there something happening that's stopping that happen for you? Um, you know, there's, there's kind of lots of questions that you, that aren't absolutely direct, that you take the lead from them. Which again is that it comes back to that idea of listening to what they say because it's sometimes those little kind of nuanced things that they say that you think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that up. That's probably really important. Um, I guess having the questions on the on the parquet before, I, I like the idea of giving them that chance to tick a box. That's almost open the door, saying I'm ticking this. So if you want yeah. to ask me about it, I've already given you permission. I think that's quite yeah. nice. And I think yeah, I think that's I use a lot of. Um, I think, um, like I use a kind of a questionnaire that I, that they can tick a question that says they like a, that they have some erectile dysfunction. So if they've ticked that, that is definitely like a big in. If you you know if you're using questionnaires, um, I, I there's other I kind of I use a kind of a, a combined questionnaire with some of my patients. So I'll I'll assess their psychological status as well as their physical status and there's things in there that you know do you, are you feeling depressed do you is your libido low you know those kind of things would and sometimes the libido is low because they can't actually have um uh you know because you you because you, one of the things if you're getting changes in your so like for example one of the things like if you um like if you get kind of like uh nerve type symptoms that are related and you want and it might well be that you just initially get a loss of feeling in your genitals um, during prenatation and masturbation. So sometimes the guys will come back and say, it just doesn't feel normal. Like my penis is not as sensitive. It just, it doesn't feel right. Um, and I think um, that's quite important because it's quite, it's, a, it's a, a sign that there's some change in the neural kind of system. Uh, and and we want to you know and, and and also that that brings a, a kind of a red flaggy question as well because that's like a loss of sensation like genital sensation is kind of verging towards kind of thinking about cord compression and cord equina.
Mm-hmm. And uh, and that and that's a, another. If you've not read um, Tom Jessup's book on that, I would recommend it. It's a fantastic book. Um, and uh, I think uh, and Corda Quine is quite kind of complicated because there's something like you know it, it's two thirds of people that have Corda Quine symptoms, which includes gentle numbness and pins and needles and lack of strength in the legs. Um, uh, they have um, and saddle paresthesia. They they have normal scans, so they don't have any changes on their scans. So it's a, it's an interesting kind of area. We could talk probably all night just about that. But I think um, um, I think that the thing you have to do with when you're talking about sexual function and sexual pain is you as a therapist, the sports therapist, the physio, you have to be comfortable with yourself about the questions that you're asking and let almost the patient be the judge. And I always say to people, don't don't go beyond your own limits and knowledge about sexual function. Don't don't try to offer advice if you don't really know much about it and stay within your own boundaries. And and I think that goes for anyone that's working with any patient, but especially in in this these patients, because they hang on your every word and um, they listen to every single thing you say. And once you've said it, you can't take it back because they'll remember and they'll come back and tell you. So I think my, my feeling about it is, is, is just um, because, I mean, you, know, you, might, you might take that whole conversation on to things like, um, can you orgasm? Can you, and is that, does that orgasm connect with your arousal state? So there's a whole bunch of kind of questions that, um, you know, can 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 lead on from one to the other, and, and but I think you're right. If a, a questionnaire is quite a, a useful thing to spark um, a conversation about sexual function, mm-hmm. um, but I, but I just say to you know that I will say to physios, and I say when I'm teaching guys this stuff, only you have to feel comfortable yourself. You know, if that is not an area you want to go to, maybe you don't ask the question, but maybe you say to them, listen, I think maybe we need to find someone for you to talk to about that we maybe need to speak to your gp or you know or is there have you spoken to your partner about it how, what conversation have you had which then means maybe um it's like um i think with guys sometimes you can say things like um so one of the signs that you've got erectile dysfunction is that you lose your morning erection so when you wake up in the morning it's not there so you can ask guys how are you first thing in the morning do you wake up with an erection um and they'll um, that, that's quite a useful question because it then can lead on to other things. They might just volunteer stuff after that. So you, you sometimes don't need to ask very much to create a conversation that's going to build around that. Fascinating. And I guess it's it's knowing, I mean, uh, listening to your conversation, I'm thinking, yeah, that's enough. I'd probably, once I've asked that, that's enough. That's enough to get out the the, the, the referral card and the business card and say. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, yeah. But it's mm-hmm. going to be different with each individual, isn't it? Because some individuals yeah. you need to read and realise they don't want to talk about this anymore, mm-hmm. but they've given mm-hmm. me a sign mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I've spoken mm-hmm. to a few therapists um, who have had conversations regarding this. You mentioned Carol Aquino and that, and, yeah, and it's late. I, th- I kind of, I think it might be Mike Rice, but I think he had a chat with somebody at kind of like midday, asking these questions, um, which included pain during intercourse and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the client mm-hmm. said, "No, no, 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 I'm fine. It's fine." Young guy, twenty five, mm-hmm. yeah. I think. And then it was yeah. when Mike was closing up at five thirty in the afternoon, six o'clock, and suddenly he had a phone call, going, "Hi, mm-hmm. it's, it's John, who I saw you name changed. It's not the real name, yeah. who you spoke to earlier on." I was just in my mind, I was thinking about those questions you said, and actually the answer is yes, I have been doing this. I have been suffering from that. And 
And Mike mm-hmm. said, like, Mike, mm-hmm. go to hospital straight away. But, you know, just go to A&E. And you give me those answers. I want to rule this out. Just head down there yeah. now. Um, yeah. And it turned out it, the hospital was really glad this guy did go and see them for one yeah. reason or another. So mm-hmm. sometimes that conversation, you don't get the answer straight away, but you plant the seeds, don't you? And that, um, yeah, because I just I want to stress right. to therapists, it's, it is life changing. It can be life changing. You're not going to solve it there in the clinic unless you want to go down the route of becoming more equipped to work with these people. But just having that conversation, <laughs> referring them on to the right person is huge, isn't it? It's I really it's is, ma- especially yeah, it's with massive. men. Can we say especially with men? Um, in terms of male identity and the higher I, rate of suicide and inability yeah. to talk about it. So I, I think I'm, I'm, I've got a bit of a, a bias, obviously, because most of the, I, I think, you know, when I, I would say that when I work with women and men and I think they suffer equally. But I think that um, there's more, you know, like there's some GPs and some doctors still wonder why men um, why did they get these things? Because do men have pelvic floors? You know, there's, some, there's lots of the public that feel that. Uh, you know, they, they'll say, well, I don't think men got pelvic floor problems. So I think we have, it's, a, it's, um, it's probably we're a little bit behind the women in that, in that, that, that state. Um, I think that we, we also have like quite a lot of um, great supporting, there's a, a, a a community called Pelvic Roar that pushes a lot of healthcare, pelvic health for women and for men, to be fair. But um, there, there's a lot of stuff out there for women. There's a lot less for men. I think traditionally men don't go to their GPs with problems. They tend to sit on things for a lot longer. Um, but And you're right. Um, like I had a, a you know, the, this, the whole thing about how it affects young men um, and young men and suicide, I think, is 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 a is a is a huge issue, and it affects their self worth, their self esteem. It affects their, you know, there's lots of um, there's lots of uh, they, they've got an intolerance to it, and often I had a chap that came to see me just uh, ten days ago, about ten days ago, and he he's basically been in pain for about nine months with no. Um, no hope in sight really of anything changing and um and they're quite difficult to treat because what happens is sometimes when you start treating them the symptoms change and they don't really want the symptoms to change they want the symptoms to go away so you have to manage their expectations to say look you've had this for almost a year i've seen you once and i'm gonna assess you and and that might make might, might alter things and one of my statements i always make is look if i can change it i can help you make it go away i said and it but changing it might mean that it might get a little bit sorer a little bit worse or maybe some of your symptoms and one of the things that happened to him was he had testicular pain and after we'd finished treating him his testicular pain disappeared completely and i'd given him an exercise program to do which he decided i'd told them how many times to do it and he decided a hundred times a day would be much more beneficial and so after he'd done it a hundred times a day he got penile pain so when he called me, I think he's the first thing he said to me was like, I, "I'm done. That's me. Life's over. Um, I, I might as well just give up." And and so I had to do a lot of. So you become a little bit of a victim of your own success because I had to kind of like pull him back in and say, "Look, you know, remember what I said. I said if you change it, we can fix it. So you've changed it, and now the reason that this happened is, and in actual fact, he didn't admit to me that he had done a hundred squats until after." Um, 
he said, well, I think maybe overdid the squats. And I said, oh yeah, how, how much? And I think it's really careful these guys not to be judgy because they're very they're very sensitive and they think they're doing the best thing they can. And they think that, you know, if, if he's given me an exercise, if I do it a little bit more, that'll just be a little bit better. And I'd say to him, listen, you need to back off from that. You need to do this other thing. I'm going to give you a couple of other things to do to try and just alleviate some of the tension in those muscles. And then I think today I got a message from him saying, yeah, all the pains are gone. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot better. But actually what, what happens is that they then move to the next symptom. So I, ha so I, I, I have this symptom and I have that symptom. So it's not gone yet. And I'll say, so let me get this straight. Your pain went from nine to one. Um, your testicular pain has gone. And, but, he's, but what then happens is because they've had it for such a long time, the only thing they're really interested in is like, you know, this idea of complete resolution. Um, and 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 also this fear that um, and I, I totally it's a really understandable fear this fear that despite the fact that he believes me he still hasn't let go of the idea that there might be something underlying his condition that's been missed medically that can be treated and, and I'm absolutely certain there isn't listening to his history um, and and having had the response that he's had over a short period of time but. You, it's it's kind of just a, you have to kind of take them by the hand a little bit and, and and take them on the journey gently. You can't you know sometimes you want to stand behind them and kick them down the path, but actually that's not always going to work. And you have to kind of try and persuade them that this this direction is the is the way they want to go. So yeah, communication skills massive, hundred percent all yeah. the time, all the time. And it, it, sometimes you have to that idea. You have to stop sometimes and. And I was speaking to, um, there's a colleague of mine um, from America that I'm doing some work with at the moment. And we were talking the other day about um, guys with um, hard flaccid syndrome. And hard flaccid syndrome is a kind of a, a, kind of a form of erectile dysfunction, um, often but not always brought on by um, overuse of pornography and masturbation. And it, there, there's a kind of a, a, a kind of a move slightly out there. There's a kind of a sense that, you know, masturbation and using porn comes with some degree of shame. And, and these people already feel quite ashamed because they've, they've brought this on themselves, if you like. And, and Holly and I were saying, you know, it's so important sometimes not to like demonize and not to, to kind of judge uh, the, the lifestyle and the things that people have chosen to do because they didn't know this was going to happen you know they didn't go to do that so i think um it, it is really important sometimes with our we, we we all bring myself included we all bring baggage to the table with our patients and and it's sometimes really it's sometimes really humbling to um see i think this young chap that i saw the other day i said to him do you know what i said i'm not sure at 23 if i'd had this experience that you had i'd have been i would have been as brave or as resourceful to find me, as well as committed to traveling to see me, and then committed to doing what I asked you to do when you've only met me once. And it's, I think, I think we sometimes have to remember just how, how hard this, this condi these conditions can actually be. You know, I think the, you know, the, 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 the effect their their lives, you know, they affect their 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 the lives, their part, their sex, their sex lives with their girlfriends. Um, it affects their education. You know, they, they sometimes have had dropped out of university. They sometimes have had to stop studying. They're they're quite young. They're at the start of their lives. They they don't see much hope 
for the future. And, they, and, and it, so it's all tied in with this whole... And you have to be really aware of that. You know, you have to kind of, you know, I, I was really pleased actually because at one point um, a couple of days ago, he said, I'm just going to drop out of school. And then he found out that he hadn't. He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking in. I'm doing it. And I'm going, well, good on you. That's anything. So it's, you become you become kind of, uh, you have to be all encompassing. You have to look at the whole picture. And it's kind of you almost, you move into areas where as a therapist and a physiotherapist, you, you maybe, you wouldn't necessarily go with other patients. You, may, you probably wouldn't be having these discussions. I think there's, I think pelvic health, it kind of, um, kind of creates a bit of an intimacy that is, is a, a, sometimes a little bit of a surprise when you're working in this field, but it is an intimacy that, you know, it can be really helpful as long as long as you have good boundaries, put your boundaries in place, and 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 work to the best of your patients. Uh, kind of, uh, then I think you you, know, you get you get good outcomes. But you definitely have to treat the whole person. You have you can't just treat the pelvis. You can't just treat the testicles. You can't just treat the penis. It, it has to be the whole person for sure. Excellent, fascinating. Um, don't forget people it's already 13 minutes too so we've got questions in here um, shout out to Stephen actually who was sharing on social media I don't know if you shared it in the STA members chat room or I just thought good on you mate for sharing that um, and he said it here he shared it here as well now with the 2500 people who are going to download this or so and he says as someone who recently had to have a terp op which is transurethral prostatectomy yeah yeah, like a yeah, sectioning. Um, yeah. I can confirm that bladder problems are not nice. Um, and Steve, when you shared that, Stephen, I was like, you're doing exactly what we need to do more of. You're somebody that people yeah, yeah. know who have chatted with, who have met at Therapy Expo. You're a lovely bloke. You've always got a smile. You've always got a hand out to put out to people. <laughs> and yet you're letting people know that behind this great guy, Stephen, there's also problems which maybe we don't talk about we don't expect the person next to us to be suffering from so i thought i really kind of like gave you a little yeah, pat on the back when sure. i read that on social media it's, maybe that's what people need to do more of to share when they've got kind of pains which we don't normally talk about and yeah. you know and pelvic floor and just as you say not let it be demonized just bring it out to the norm you know, yeah the same way 100%. as runners discuss i've got pain metatarsal pain and i'm worried it's a you know, like some kind of stress fracture or something, which should be the same. We've got testicular pain. I'm worried it's this. And then suddenly it'll spark a conversation. And then we yeah. won't be worried when we talk to our patients about it because we'll be talking to yeah. each other about it. So, 100%. 100%, Matt. That's it. So good on you, Stephen. Um, Leslie well here says, yeah, it's great. He's a great guy. You'll meet him at Therapy Expo, I'm sure. You are coming up, aren't you, Stephen? I'm thinking this year. Um, Leslie Campbell says, I had a male client a few months ago, and yes, his symptoms were total red flags for me. I had to send him off to see a doctor. Did you get any feedback from that, Leslie? Did you get any? I wonder whether they got back to you and said anything. Um, Brian Hoxley says, getting a good rapport is important to help the client feel comfortable speaking about his issues and letting them know it's normal. And it's for any condition, isn't it? We've said so many times the importance of treating the whole person, you know, regardless of what yeah. body part it is. I'm excited. I want to try and squeeze in as well. Um, I alluded to earlier on about responsibility, soft tissue therapists and um, <clears throat> non-allied health professionals, let's say, have got in being an important part of that health chain and referring people on. But it was interesting chatting to your affair about what you think soft tissue therapists can do, even sure. if we're, we're not quite sure yet, something Gary might want to look up. We were talking off air about internal examinations and, and insurance and things like that, <laughs> because some insurance is the thing. And if you've got a certificate in something, then often that gets you insured, whether it's putting needles <laughs> in people or whatever it is. 
So we're not mm-hmm. sure about internal examinations yet, but you said there's a lot of stuff that soft tissue therapists could be doing to help people yep. with pelvic, um, male pelvic health Absolutely. issues. Can you so give us an idea? I, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I think the trouble is that, so I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a pelvic health therapist, but I'm, I'm not hugely pelvic centric in the way I approach it. And they don't get me wrong, I, I do internal work and I do internal release and I do retraining and I look at pelvic floor strength and stuff like that. I do all of that. But I spend, I, I kind of go, so for example, testicular pain um, has, can often be, we can have from a few different um kind of uh, area so the 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 way that the testicles when they develop embryologically they come from the the thoracolumbar junction they descend down through the trunk they go through the pelvic floor they go through the inguinal canal and end up in the scrotum so they maintain a connection with the thoracolumbar junction so straight away anyone that i see with testicular pain um i want to know that that area is mobile that the muscle tension is is normalized if you like that people can move through that area uh, what that also has an effect on their diaphragm. Can they expand and breathe properly? And the diaphragm has an effect because it controls intra-abdominal pressure. And that pressure system has an effect on the pelvic floor because the pelvic floor will kind of push against that and respond to it. And that can increase tone in the pelvic floor. So from a really simple point of view with someone with testicular pain, if you work on the soft tissue and mobilize the thoracolumbar junction all the way down into the lumbar spine, you're giving a much more free, kind of relaxing kind of um, uh, ability, ability to relax for that area, really. And so that allows the the nerve to be, to move and be much more normal and much good blood supply. That's going to help nerve mobility. And those, the nerve goes all the way down there into like the genital femoral iliac inguinal nerve. And it's connected through your hip. So if you, you can then do anterior hip, um, work. Um, I know that there's a, uh, I mean, there's a big thing. I, 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 for many, many years, I, I kind of, there's a big thing on social media about hip flexors and stretching them and so, and getting your hands on them. And I, I don't, personally, I don't really think you can, but I think there's quite a lot of superficial work you can do around the front of a hip. Move into the adductors. You can work on the adductors, hamstrings, um, anterior quads, rectus femoris can often be really tight. So these guys present with this kind of more global, less pelvic centric. Um, tissue tensions and actually because the 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 kind of the way they move everything in in pelvic health for me is about getting them back moving i i I think i talked once about a a patient that i had who was a, a triathlete and when he came to see me he had gone from training three times a week or four or five times a week to he'd stopped stopped running then he stopped cycling then he stopped swimming then he stopped sitting down at work then he stopped going to work then he stopped then he worked from the couch then he didn't get off the couch and so when you look at that picture although it might be a complicated picture of pelvic pain it's a it's a picture of someone not moving and stiffening up and so the way i i work with um soft tissue therapists is that if if um if i can't find um so say for example maybe the patient decides they only want to see me to do their pelvic floor work and I think they need some soft tissue work more globally. And I'm quite far away from them. I'll say, Let, let's find someone locally that can do the soft tissue stuff. We'll work together. You can come and see me and I'll do the internal work once a month. But in between that, I, I need you to go and see a soft, soft tissue therapist. And I think I, I find that really useful. I think that these patients can often be, you know, they can be quite tense, quite stressed. And soft tissue work can really help, you know, like 
restore more balance in your autonomic nervous system, reduce your vagal tone, you know, it can do a lot of good stuff that's kind of out there as, if you like, and there's quite a lot of evidence to support that. You know, I think there's quite a lot of evidence to support that that's what massage therapy does as well. You know, the actual, con the, the idea of just touching somebody. And these people often, they haven't been touched much because they might have withdrawn from seeing people. They might have withdrawn from dating. They might have withdrawn from hugging because they just feel they don't see their family. Maybe they feel the so there's lots of things that touch can do to bring them back into living, really. So I, I think for me, um, I, I sometimes feel rather than you know like have them come all the way to see me, I'll, I'll find someone local and and I've used that to good effect with a, a good number of guys. So yeah, that that's where I think certainly you know, at a really simple level that sports therapy people could be in, sports therapists could be involved in that. Um, I think, um, but I, I think I, I'm, it, it would be interesting to see, you know, what more they could do, what more they could actually be involved in. Um, yeah. Well, there's an opportunity, isn't there? Because we were talking yeah. off air, mm -hmm. and normally you chock a block, um, and yeah. you don't even advertise courses on your website for that reason. Yeah. But um, it's uh, there's a couple of places in there, and something you've got coming up. Um, tell me about that. Where was it in? Uh, I've got. I'm, I'm doing. I'm, I think it's in. Uh, I'm doing in November, middle of November, twelfth, uh, I think, of November. There's a few places left. There's two courses. We're running one in Worthing in the south coast, but that's full. And there's one in um, in Fitzrovia. I don't know where that is in London, but it's in London. And I think there was two places left in that. The courses are quite small. Um, where it is an that one is an internal course, but I think what I was saying, Matt, in, in some of the courses I've had that are internal, the, the the therapists that maybe aren't allowed to do that, not allowed to do it, can get a lot of benefit out of the rest of the course. There's quite a lot of useful stuff in the course. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, uh, I think, uh, I think you need to, I think someone's got it saying there. Yeah. So I think that basically if, if you're not, I think anyone that isn't, qualified in this area shouldn't be uh if you if someone does and i would agree with what you said there if someone has a, a pelvic health issue they need to be assessed by someone that has um special skill in that area uh and then i think that uh i think it um and I'm not suggesting, you know, that you know that 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 sports therapists should be left to struggle with these guys on their own. I'm just saying that, you know, I think together we can work as a team. I think, uh, I think that I think if you, I feel sometimes some sports therapists have been a little bit reluctant to uh, see my patients until I've spoken to them and said, listen, this is what I need you to do. I'm happily, I'm happy to support and mentor you through this, um, and let's see how. How we get along, and I've, I've to date, I've not really had any issues. But I don't, you know, I'm not expecting them to take the responsibility of that because I think the burden and the responsibility is too great. Um, and because like, I think a lot of physiotherapists find the burden and responsibility too great. Um, so I, I don't, yeah. So anyway, but the idea of co-treating is something which I think, yeah, in all respects, we're seeing is normally beneficial to the patient um, yeah. of, of feeling that they're supported by. A, a, yeah. tree of different therapists and that so so it'd be interesting yeah so there are courses we'll put links to it in the show notes which you can access from uh, the sta.co.uk or go to podbean or on youtube i normally put the links as well um once it's finished um 
Gary's put some interesting information. If you're not, if you are interested in it, basically contact Gary, Gary at the sta.co.uk um, with regards to um, putting you the, the, giving you directions on where to go. If you are interested in learning more about pelvic health. Um, but yeah, if not talking to people around you, um, I don't need all to suddenly email Bill. Um, yeah. I mean, Leslie's jumped in there already. Leslie Campbell is realizing you're from Edinburgh. I think Ed- Leslie said, I'm Glasgow based Bill. If you need a soft tissue service Perfect. on the West coast, I'll introduce myself at Expo, but it's that sort of thing, Perfect. you know, you're near, you know, yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. reach out. Yeah. Um, it sounds yeah. like they're not going to bite your head off. They actually might appreciate no. being able to look after the patients better. And not absolutely. making them travel. Yeah, absolutely. Great information, great information. Okay, right, well, look, 8.58. Bill, it's been amazing. Thanks Um, very much. I'm so excited um, at uh, being able to spend some time with you in Therapy Expo. Just to let people know again, just to bring it up, if you you have been listening tonight to the podcast and you are heading to Birmingham on November the 23rd and the 24th, um, then Bill will be talking in the STA Theatre. Let's bring this up. Just reminding myself now of my crib sheets. Um, at uh, 1.45 in the STA Therapy Update Theatre, 1.45 on Wednesday the 23rd. Um, but also Bill is talking um, in, which theatre was it? You're there in the morning, aren't you? Did I get somewhere? I think so. Um, theatre C at 10.45. So if you can't join us in the STA Theatre, then you can go to Theatre C at 10.45 if the topic is of interest to you. Um, and if you can't go to um, Therapy Expo, or if you're listening from another country or somewhere, then obviously um, you can find out a huge amount of information um, about Bill and the work he does by going to the website taylorphysiotherapy.com. Just got a wealth of information on there. And if you're interested in courses, then I think there's a contact button there. And why have I got a picture of that? Up? <laughs> that was a combination of last week's um, Liz and you. Uh, oh, that was it, Bill and Bailey. And that's what I came up with. And it was something I wasn't actually going to show till now. I was going to send it to Liz. But yeah, Bill Bailey. Makes no sense now. It's supposed to be at the beginning of the show. But anyway, if you go to Taylor Physiotherapy, um, then a load of information there. I recommend you go and have a little look. Um, it'll probably make you change your own website in, in dramatic ways as well. Let's give them a little screenshot of that. Uh, loads of information there as well. And also the connections with Pilates and all sorts of stuff we haven't talked about. We haven't even talked about uh, Bill's relations and working with Scottish ballet and dancers. There's a whole load of information. Um, but anyway. I'll come back. I'll come back. <laughs> I'll come back. I'll see you in a year. No, um, and, and that reminds me, actually, if you are interested, there is another episode with Bill, which uh, embarrassing now was a year ago, um, which was episode 25. And that's obviously on YouTube if you want to see it in person or you can go to any podcast app and just uh, go to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. And it's episode 25, which was November the 10th, I think, last year. So um, there you go. All these people Thank asking you. about CPD. It still happens. What should I do for CPD? Here you go, 123 hours for you, just waiting for you. Uh, then come back once you've watched it all. It's there. You can take your pick as well. Anyway, Bill, um, don't go away. I just want to say thanks to you once I shut the live lounge, just for a couple of minutes. Sure. But, um, Thank you. If people do Thank- want to follow you, where's the best place, Bill? I mean, you've got your uh, Facebook group. I'm kind of, um, yeah, I'm, I, you know what? I'm pretty not very social media savvy. You're not, I'm, I'm kind you? of, I, not really, I no. admire that. I just don't have that much time to do it, really. I keep thinking, I sit down at the night and I think, do you know what, I've 
No, I just don't have time. <laughs> so I was kind of like, probably if I post something, I probably stuff on Facebook on my on my clinic Facebook page. If yes. there's something that really grabs me, I probably post it on my clinic Facebook. Facebook. Okay, yeah, yeah, there's some stuff in there. I think there was something about yeah, yeah I saw some interesting stuff in there. Um, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Right. So thanks, Bill, again, for joining us. People for joining us live. Thank you so much. I'm glad I found you. I couldn't see it at the beginning, but then you all appeared. And thank you so much for people who are listening to the podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, then please, please, please do us the favor of leaving a review. Um, leave us a rating. It just helps the great word of our speakers appear higher in Google. So if someone puts in male pelvic health, bam, this episode will be there. And then I have the joy of listening to Bill Taylor for an hour. Um, so, yeah, that's what the reviews and the ratings do. Please, especially if you're on an iPhone, it takes you a minute to do. Just do it now. Do it before you stop listening to podcasts. Pause this. Go there. Come back and feel good about yourself. We will be back next week, Tuesday at 8 o'clock. If you want to join us live, it's the first of the month, first Tuesday of the month. So we'll be having our STA catch up, which is where we talk about the previous podcasts um, and also what's coming up um, in uh, November. This will be obviously a big thing in November is going to be uh, Therapy Expo. But yeah, people from Gary, or I think, will be with us, founder of the Sports Therapy Association. And normally we get a few STA reps. If you are an STA regional rep, or even if you're just an STA member and you fancy joining us to talk about something you've been doing, Give me a shout. It's fine. Matt at the STA.co.uk. It's all about you and the industry and just communication. Uh, and that will be next Tuesday at eight o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association channel. That's it, people. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode um, and uh, hopefully see some of you live next Tuesday. Take care of each other. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.